We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome back to the Brew Hoop podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, and as per usual, I'm joined by my faithful, faithful Bucks fans and fellow editors on this site, Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Fellas, how are you doing on this this beautiful, beautiful week of Bucks basketball being back? All I know is one week after we revealed the fact that I had adopted a dog, I believe we might have a new addition to the family, Kyle. Yep, I adopted a dog on Tuesday. His name is Giovanni. He is two years old in a terrier mix, and he is really, really sweet, and he has the most adorable eyes I've ever seen. So, yeah, we're just going to establish a brew hoop dog squad to take on any other blogging sites, dogs, and we'll win. No problem. You know how they have, like, the dog Super Bowl or whatever? Is that what – is it the dog Super Bowl or the puppy bowl? the puppy bowl. The puppy bowl, yeah. yeah. So we're going to have the puppy finals going on simultaneously, like seven <laughs> games, whatever it takes. We're going to – we'll make it happen. Don't you have a – you have a cat too, right, Kyle? Yep. How are they uh, cohabitating? Um, Coexisting, <laughs> okay. I think, would be the best way to describe it. Like – they are okay when they're in the same room. Like we can be in the same room, but sometimes if one of them makes like a sudden like movement, it freaks the other one out. So like there are times where Pico will like immediately jump down on the couch and Gio will bark at her. And then there's one time where Gio is like coming up to sniff her and Pico hissed. So working on it, but there no one has attacked anyone yet. So that's a positive. Good. But I th- think Pico's very jealous that she's not getting all the attention anymore. I feel like that's that would be a natural reaction if I was a cat. I would want to I would get jealous that the dog is getting all the attention for being new. Yeah, and she's doing a lot of weird things like playing with his toys, like just taunt it's like he's she's taunting him almost. I don't know. It's it's been an interesting week to say the least, but no one everything is good. That I am happy about. I think we missed the uh the easy Christian Wood joke there, right? Like the annoyed that he doesn't get all the attention, but up yeah speaking of uh everything is good as kyle said um things seem to be doing pretty well with the bucks here they're coming off a victory over the t-wolves ugly in its own right and then also a victory last thursday against the boston celtics 98 97 this t-wolves game was 140 to 128 um just in terms of i i think First, let's go to Kyle, who was there for the most important part of the night, which was both the game and the uh, halftime job rule performance. Um, they were both weird, and they're and they're their own way. Also, there was a dance off. You know how they do like the dance for your dinner. Yeah, and I'm sure it's been all over social media. But they had three people, and the first person was a girl, and she was killing it. I was like, okay, she was good. The second was a guy who was like, all right, and, you know, that was fine. And then the third guy who ended up winning, he was, it was just like this big, big dude. He's just like doing the worm, did like the Superman pose. Like he was killing it and he got a standing ovation, which I don't think has ever happened. But <laughs> it was kind of unreal. Like he, like 
it was one of those words like i don't know what this guy's gonna be doing like i just figured he'd do like some kind of like robot and he just ended up break dancing but i think that was the best part of the game to be honest um the job ja rule concert was it, it was a thing um i it was awkward i think <laughs> I did like Gabe's tweet on how he was saying if there's any working bathrooms. Um, you know, it was just a this is a guy that is kind of past his prime and just needs to do whatever he can to make up all the money that he's going to lose after he gets sued with Fry Festival. I think ever since they did Coolio a couple years ago, it's been downhill ever since. Like, can you ever really top a Coolio halftime performance for the 90s evening? Also, didn't Ja Rule talk about the fact that his album came out in 99 and he was complaining like, that, that was, he was a like 2000 that, rapper. You made the timeline. You made the yeah. timeline cut off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like split half of watching the job real concert. And then I also met and talked to Kane Pittman. So it was like a nice combo there. Nice. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I like that. The, the, the three things that'll get Bucks fans out of their seats are, are a, a large man dancing in a way that we wouldn't expect t-shirts. Being <laughs> tossed, and, uh, if the game, if there's like a minute left in the game and, and one guy stands up in the front row and kind of is like, all right, guys, I think this might be the time to stand up here. Uh, otherwise, it's, you know, plant your butts in those seats and no getting up. Um, let's talk wow, about the there's a lot of shade in that one. Do you, guys, do, you guys think they st- do you think they stand up a lot? I don't feel like like For people what? stand up that often at Bucks games at all. Uh, it depends. Yeah, right. I don't know. Like, I, I go to pretty much the only games I've ever been to are Bucks games or T-Wolves games, and T-Wolves fans have had to go through just as much losing and awfulness, so it's pretty much the same exact situation. So I get where they're coming from. I'm just used to nobody getting too hyped up. Yeah, I don't blame And they get hyped. They like they do it from their seats, so that's fine. Like If you want to get all excited um, from your seat, too, that's all that matters, that the place is rocking. So. I was going to say, near the end when Giannis hit that three, it I saw like a lot of people ended up like jumping up and cheering, okay. and I think that was when the Bucks kind of just put the game away for good, so... That's fair. that's fair. and the and the Brooke Lopez poster career ending dunk on Dario Sarge. That was another <laughs> that was another moment that people immediately got up for. Yeah, uh, the homie did not look good on that one when he got destroyed there. Uh, okay, so <laughs> that was such a a bizarre game because defense ob- obviously seemed optional on on both sides, and the weirdest part to me was still that the the, the Timberwolves were somehow able to beat. The Bucks in the paint, which is just not something you would expect at all. It hasn't really been something that's been happening much at all this year. Usually Milwaukee dominates in that respect. And obviously they had a good night from three, uh, 19 for uh, from four, for 43 from beyond the arc, 44.2%. That's probably one of their better shooting per nights, nights of the year. 21, 21 for 22 from the free throw line. That's excellent as well. Um, but you know, it, in a lot of ways, Minnesota was just able to get those buckets when they need them. Derek Rose was hitting the type of shots that he has annoyingly been hitting for them. Um, you know, but then when you, when you dive into the numbers, I mean, Minnesota didn't shoot that well at the rim either. They shot 55.9%. So Milwaukee was still able to stop them there. Um, but they were making a lot of the sort of short mid range floaters that might've taken place just at the top of the paint there, um, 13 out of 27 from there. And that's certainly what their shot profile is. They shoot, you know, not that many three-pointers. I think they were 27th in the league in terms of frequency uh, based on cleaning the glass. And so they're primarily a mid-range team. So, Riley, why do you think the Bucks seem to struggle defensively against the Timberwolves? Was it just sort of they, you know, the, the T-Wolves happened to have a good shooting night? Or was there something 
systemically. Maybe the Bucks just like didn't have their heads in the game after that big win over Boston. What do you think? Uh, well, first, I think um, I think you actually got to switch up. I think the T Wolves win twelve for twenty six from three and sixteen for twenty from the free throw, and then the other numbers you said were the Bucks. But the point oh, still stands. They, they shot pretty well from both. Now, I mean it. It kind of seems similar from the earlier the game early in the season against the T Wolves, where it was like really mid range heavy, and just that evening the T Wolves weren't hitting. Um, and kind of when I went back and watched a little bit of the highlights just to get refresh my memory from last night, it seemed like it was just the tough shot expressed to like the nth degree for a lot of the shots for the T wolves. And then um, there was a couple of three pointers, which I don't know if it was like laziness or I think Miritich, he's still kind of figuring his way out within the defensive scheme and kind of overcommitted or overhelped a couple of times the perimeter. Um, And that kind of left guys open for even better shots. So I, I think you can kind of mix it up to figuring out the system with a new guy, which, you know, when it's a team concept, that's going to kind of throw things off, even though he was only out there for limited minutes, maybe I wouldn't say laziness per se, but maybe not nearly running guys off the line. Like you do normally off of like screens and such. And then also the T wolves just hitting tough shots. And, you know, in the end that didn't save them obviously per the final score, but I'm not sure if you can really come away with this and diagnose like, Oh, this is some sort of issue that's going to linger. It's probably more of a one-off than anything. Yeah, and so and even in some ways, when I looked at it, I, you know, obviously Giannis had some quotes after the game about how they obviously don't want to be winning, having to score 140 points. But Kyle, in some ways, it almost seems more impressive the fact that Minnesota could have a night where they seem to shoot so well from the floor, and yet they still lose by double digits. Well, it was basically Anthony Tolliver in the first half, just <laughs> every three off of you know just pick and pops, and I was like, I I don't know how much how long this is gonna last, but. Between him and then Derrick Rose and hitting a couple mid-range shots, Tyus Jones getting a couple shots, it was one of those where the Timberwolves could, you know, offensively, it was kind of like that Wizards game a few weeks ago where the Wizards were just shooting the lights out, offensively played well enough to win, but then the Bucks decided for, you know, like three minutes that, okay, we're going to actually try a defense and we're going to show that we are better than you. You know, Brooke Lopez getting a few key blocks on um, – it was just like stuff like that. It was just like key blocks, a steal from Eric Bledsoe, forcing Ty Jones a few bad passes. You know, Andrew Wiggins just settling for mid-range shot. It was one of those where, yeah, Milwaukee kind of decided to flip a switch. And the second they did, they only needed two, three minutes. And what was like a two, three-point lead turned into like a 12, 15, like 12 to 15-point lead. So I think it's kind of impressive that they can still – you know, coast through most of the games. And then when they decide we're going to be serious, they can turn it on and end up winning. I mean, we've seen it a few times now with the Wizards game, um, the Hornets game, the last Hornets game, just automatically it's like this team can just, it's not like warrior ask where they just take over, but just in the fact of we're good, we're better. This is, this is how it is. We're going to take over and you can't do anything about it. And if I can just follow up with that real quick as well, I think it's impressive coming off of that Celtics game where the offense just was having a really tough time all evening long to just kind of come out and totally dominate another team offensively. Like, yes, you would rather it just be like kind of a more balanced game where you don't have to score 140 points, but we've seen at least a couple of games where just for whatever reason, the threes aren't falling or what, whatever the problem happens to be on an 
night to night basis, but to come out and be able to once again show that you can put up this kind of numbers on an opposing team and on a team that's, you know, pretty decent. Minnesota's not great, but they're decent out in the West. Um, and I think Ben Golliver over at the Washington Post, he tweeted out that the Bucks in 59 games with Bud have scored 140 points, five or more, I think five times, I think it said. Um, so I think while you could be a little bit concerned about the defense, the fact that the offense was still able to kind of keep firing. And I mean, again, if you look at the highlights you were watching last night, it was a very typical offensive night, which is also hardening the fact that when things go, you can just see it, it dominates other teams. Yeah. And I, I, Kyle was talking about that flipping of the switch. And I think t- typically it seemed like that's oftentimes been on the defensive end that the team has decided to really lock in late in games and, and shut these teams down, whether that's sometimes they've gone to that switching defense that's really brought them back into games. The Hornets game was the prime example of that. And they've been trotting it out a little bit more now, but guys like Eric Bledsoe and, and Brooke Lopez getting those big blocks, as Kyle said, I, and I think that's, what's really, really heartening about this team, because as much as the offensive and people have said this a lot too, as well, but as much as the offensive success has been the highlight of, of Bud's year, or at least, you know, stat from Ben Golliver, obviously illustrating that, but I mean, the defense has been probably the most consistent part of the theme of this season, considering the fact that, that Bud seems to get most upset when the defense lapses. And the Bucks are, if you look at their offensive rating now, I'm on, on basketball reference, they're basically tied for f- fourth with the Portland Trailblazers. So, uh, you know, they've, they were started out the year, I think, I think they were close to first or may have been the top and the Warriors have, have eclipsed them and you know, these teams are all scoring at huge amounts and there's not that many points separating like the Bucks from fourth and the Pelicans who are in the eighth slot for offensive rating. But the Bucks really have a really strong lead in terms of defensive rating on basketball reference. So they're, they're at 104 right now. Pacers are second at 104.7. But then when you get to the third slot, it's the Jazz at 106.1, 106.2 after that, 106.8. So, I mean, the Bucks defense has been outrageously stingy this whole year. Uh, and I think that's going to serve them incredibly well come playoff time, especially, you know, the fact that they're able to win in, in, in these two diametrically opposed games, one which is a rock fight and then one which is, uh, I don't know what the opposite of a rock fight would be, I don't know, a pillow fight. Pillow we're fight, about, yeah. yeah pillow <laughs> fight, and we're doing an offensive game like that. So, uh, Kyle, what do you think it says about this team that they're able to win in such a multitude of ways, uh, whether it's offensively or defensively? I think it just shows the talent and the coaching of this team compared to last year. I mean, last year, if they were going to win, it was because, you know, Giannis, Chris, and Eric were just getting, forcing every single shot, and it had to go in and just hoping that the other team would go cold. Um, You know, this year, it seems like, you know, there are games where they can score 130 and they can win that way, or they score 98, like, against Boston, and they win. Or it's kind of a combo of both where, you know, they still have the high offense and are clamping down defensively. And I think that's just, I think that's more of the coaching than anything else, just because, you know, Budenholzer can see that something's not working and immediately call a timeout and then, you know, try and yell at the guys and be like, get your shit together. Um, Or he decides maybe we should switch and go with a jumbo lineup and catch the opponent completely off guard. Like when you throw out a Ursan you know, Brooke Lopez, Giannis, like jumbo, jumbotron lineup. It's like, okay, no one's, no one saw that coming. So I think it's just stuff like that where you can make any adjustment on the fly as you can. And I mean, the team is better, you know, talent wise, and there's more depth, which helps. But I think the coaching really is the stand up part, is that's why the team is able to win in so many, so many different ways. 
Yeah, I agree completely. And let's go to that Boston game just for a little bit here. Bucks win 98-97. Obviously, there was that last possession where Eric Bledsoe and Giannis Antetokounmpo basically combined to stifle Kyrie Irving as he rifled up some sort of circus shot that caromed off the rim. Giannis had 30 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. Neither team shot it particularly well from almost anywhere on the on the court. Bucks did decent from three, 36.8%. They went 14 for 38, which really isn't too bad. Basically a wash with the Celtics who went 14 for 40 from deep. Um, but, you know, Riley, what were some of your takeaways from that game besides the fact that it was uh, uh, horrendous to watch for the first uh, about quarter and a half? Besides the fact that I wanted to bleach my eyes after the first, <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of seemed like your super typical coming off of a long break, like trying to get back into a rhythm game for both teams, um, which is kind of a lame excuse, but I think it's true to a certain extent. And I think the biggest takeaway is, you know, a year ago in the playoffs, the Bucks had difficulty kind of getting over the hump, even without, even with Kyrie out for the Celtics. But in this game where Horford and Irving both have, I mean, they shot a lot and they didn't shoot super well, but they both kind of led, the Celtics in terms of scoring. And then when it comes up, those two guys versus Giannis of who's going to be able to grind this out and get it over the top. Giannis obviously kind of, he came out on top. He helped lead the bucks over the top for um, the win. And I'm not sure if there's a ton to really take away from it other than it's an awesome win for the tiebreaker implications. And then also just proving the fact that, you know, Last year, where Terry Rozier, like Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, all these guys were kind of the contributors, they still had okay nights, but not nearly to the same extent. And because the Bucks have a much better system and are a lot deeper, even though the bench wasn't able to really contribute a ton, I mean, they, I think Miritich had eight points, Ilyasova nine, and Snow was six, but those are the only guys off the bench that scored. The fact that the starting five was deep enough to be able to counter and get through the rock fight, like you said, and get the win is, you know, probably a pretty good sign for the playoffs when the rotations get shorter and contributions from the starters become that much more important. Yeah. And one other thing I just want to note from that Timberwolves game is George Hill left the game uh, with, I think they said it was right abductor strain uh, early, which gave Pat Connaughton some run. I haven't heard anything yet in terms of his, whether he's going to be out for an extended period of time. I have a feeling by the time this podcast goes up, we might have more clarification, but just a note there. Yeah. Kyle, with that, the, the Boston game, I thought it was, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's always interesting when the Bucks go up against uh, an opponent who clearly is someone that they may have to face in the, in the playoffs. And it looked like, you know, Boston was trying to throw everything they had at them. And I think it was interesting. The fact that you were pointing out Riley, like the Bucks bench just seemed to hold out a lot better than the Celtics bench. And I mean, Jalen Brown was on their bench, which was, you know, he's obviously, I would say quite a bit, better than most of the Bucks bench players besides maybe Miritich they're good in their own way but I mean when you look when you look to that point and I know the rotation will shorten but I think just that difference that the Bucks have this year versus last year could make a huge difference I mean the Celtics are, are running out guys like you know Ojale who was good for them last year in the playoffs but we'll see you know Yabaselli Tice you know Rozier was not good in that game and he was clearly a standout in the playoffs last year but I mean when the Bucks are trying out guys like Miritich and Ilyasova and, and George Hill and Sterling Brown and, and Snell, and they're all giving you solid minutes. It feels like that could be something that even with a shortened rotation could make a huge difference this year. Well, and I think too, we also 
part of it comes with an asterisk this one because Aaron Baines and Gordon Hayward were both out. Now Hayward's kind of been a shell of himself this year, but he seems to at least right before the break was kind of rounding a little bit more into form, or at least had a couple of games. And Baines, I don't, I mean, you know, obviously besides getting hunted by Giannis, he's kind of presents an interesting different look on the inside from the five position. But I think just a shortened bench versus are a little bit more. And even then, because we were given Meritage, it was his first minutes. Again, there's kind of that thing to kind of keep in mind that even this bench unit wasn't fully realized because you're tossing in a whole new part that will probably end up being a key piece of the rotation. So um, for both sides, I think you just kind of come away happy for the win on national TV. And I'm not sure if you can draw a ton of long-term you know, kind of lessons from it just because those two guys who will end up being probably, you know, at least some part of the rotation in the playoffs weren't available for them. Yeah, let's yeah, talk about Nick. Yo, sorry, go ahead, You guys forgot that the refs are completely against the Celtics. I mean, you saw how Middleton completely mugged Mark, uh, which I don't know. Tackled him. He tackled him. In the yeah, he tackled row. him, and then, you know, there was it was just a completely rigged, and Giannis and Bledsoe fouled. Um, Kyrie on that last second shot, it should have been a foul. Like the rest are against the Celtics, you guys. I don't know what you're talking about. If Bill Simmons wants to come on the podcast or have us on his podcast, I'll accept. That's the challenge. I'm throwing down the gauntlet right now. <laughs> yeah, let's just completely overlook anywhere, but, the yeah. inbound. Let's just completely overlook the inbound mishap. And oh yeah, the shot clock that should not have gone against the box way. You know, if that was called correctly, there wouldn't even be a final shot. But, you know, that's fine. Bill Simmons completely live in your delusional fantasy as your Celtics also just got completely blown out by the Bulls last night. Well, it's even worse for Kyle because you run the our Twitter account, so you get to see the like <laughs> the waves of opposing fans kind of going into the mentions and everything. So that <laughs> that's got to be funny. What happens like when the Bucks win? There is no, there was little Celtics fans in oh, the mentions. Okay, that's good. shocking. Good, kind of the same thing with the Raptors when they lost. Little interaction from them, huh? Weird. But make sure to listen and review and give us five stars. Raptors, Celtics, Sixers fans, everybody, let us know how the podcast is. Thank you. I mean, that's fine, Riley. The second you tweet something about it, there's going to be a Sixers fan that jumps to your <laughs> I mention. <laughs> I uh, I had no idea that rule on the jump ball tip when the clock is supposed to start. Did you guys oh, know I that? No, idea. no I, I I've not. never ever seen something like that before. It's one of those like really obscure rules that like comes around once every three to four seasons. And like, you know, usually it's not on a national TV game. It's like a Sacramento Kings versus I don't know who who would be another basement. It'd be like a Kings Timberwolves game. In whoa, a whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's give some respect to the Kings. Let's say it's more of a Suns Cavaliers type of game. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. So I, it, I didn't know it either, but it's just one of those inane rules that exists and only comes up every once in a while. And you just pray it doesn't happen again in like the playoffs or a critical situation. <laughs> Not that this uh, wasn't critical, but you this know, was, I mean, like, no, there definitely was, wasn't a series season series on the line or anything. Yeah, this was vital. Uh, I think we just needed to do it just to beat the. Celtics, God, that felt that felt really good. I mean, it's the Bucks are racking up these wins against the top of the East now too. What do they have? They finished their series with the Celtics two one, yep. uh, and they still have to face the Sixers two more times this year. But beyond that, uh, I mean, the, I'll say this: I, the Pacers games. I know they clinched the season series in that. Uh, they, but I thought they at least. Oh, do they have one lose. more game? Yeah, I think they have one more game because the Bucks okay. lead two to one. They beat the Raptors three one. Beat the Celtics two one. Up 2-1 against the Pacers and up 1-0 against the Sixers with two games. Gotcha. Okay. 
So the Sixers games will be really interesting. I find the Pacers games fascinating, even though they're really hard. I can't believe how well they've stuck around without Victor Oladipo there. Um, so let's talk about Nikola Miritich, though. I mean, obviously, he finally got his first game action. Boston seemed like he was certainly finding his sea legs still uh, just working his way. there. He had a couple of really nice defensive possessions that I liked one-on-one. Uh, but against Minnesota, I mean, you saw how he's able to raise the Bucks' bench's ability to to just pour in points. He had 17 points, 7 of 11 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3. Uh, he seems to have found a nice niche in that corner 3, as we predicted. You know, he, he got a couple of nice feeds and, and knocked those down. Kyle, what are you seeing from Nikola Miritich that he's already adding to this team just in his limited play so far? I think it's just that he's ready to shoot. I think that's one of the biggest things is he's unafraid to take the ball, fire it up. And, you know, sometimes it's maybe a little bit too far, but he's at least willing to shoot. And that's something that we expected when he was brought in. But I think defensively, just how he's been able to, you know, continue to hold his ground and battle with some of the guys that are out there that he's going against. I think he was matched up against Horford a few times against the Celtics. And I think defensively is really what stood out to me, especially last night. It was one of those where I was like, Mirkich is looking pretty good. And like, I didn't expect him to be this, like, I figured he was a decent enough defender, but I didn't think he was going to be like a average to plus style defender. Right now he's been displaying it. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him. This is with only maybe a week at most of practice. And part of that was he was injured. So we don't know how injured, but He's looked good so far, and I think as he gets more comfortable, it's just going to click even more. He seems to know his spots. I think he's going to start learning that he's got to be ready when Giannis has the ball because Giannis might whip a pass to him out of nowhere. So I'm impressed with what he's done in the two games so far. Yeah, and analogous to how we've sort of talked about this team thus far, it was pretty easy to see how Miritich would add to this Bucks offense, see how he would slot in, just like it was clear how Bud would sort of improve this Bucks offense. But defensively, it's been more surprising to me. Like you said, Kyle, he had a couple really good possessions. I think he he deed up Tatum and uh, did a decent job of, of moving his feet and, and guarding on the perimeter, especially one-on-one. He might get a little lost in space, like Riley was mentioning earlier. But especially one-on-one, he's, he's impressed me so far. And I think that's what could be most important come playoff time is, you know, I, I think there was a lot of – you know, interest and intrigue around this idea of playing Giannis and TJ Wilson together because it could create such a switchable lineup. And so, Riley, I think the thing that's most interesting to me about how Miritich has done is he seems like he could really fit in that role. And, you know, maybe he lacks a little bit of the athleticism of DJ Wilson defensively, but he certainly seems like he could fit into that, that switching role if the Bucks decide to go that route with that lineup. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. I mean, he, it's, I was, it's just funny watching him because he's got like no lift at all in his jump. Like he's kind of long and tall, obviously. So he doesn't need to like really be athletic above the rim at all, but it's just funny watching him like isolated, like, okay, he's no lift to him. But then when he's matched up, even against like smaller guards, he's able to kind of keep up with them. He's Thon maker esque with his foot speed gentlemen. Um, (laughs) No, I, I, I agree that it, it was an impressive first two games, especially last night against the Timberwolves, just because he was able to kind of do it on both ends. And I think what will be most fascinating if DJ kind of falls out of the rotation because of Nicola, what does that mean for just like the backup four, just like the wing slash backup forward rotation? Like is Ursan going to see his minutes go down? Like what's the balance there? And I think, also, it was interesting during the fourth corner, like during the critical run, it was like Miritich and the other four starters, Sands Brogdon, I think, which was kind of an interesting like 
big lineup, and I can't remember who the Timberwolves have out had out there to like kind of counter them, but I thought that was curious of a choice by Bud to kind of have that group out there. And it'll be interesting seeing does he continue to run big? And is that more so just kind of like getting that group comfortable just in case you want to pull that out in the playoffs is like a different look for teams to try and deal with. Um, but I, I think like you guys said, it was an excellent debut and I'm excited to see how he can kind of continues to work and fit. He seems like he does everything that Ursan does, but with a little bit more energy just cause he's younger. Um, and it'll be curious how those two kind of work and see who kind of comes out on top as the year goes on here. Yeah, and I was really, I was just, I was just waiting because Marcus they panned to DJ Wilson on the bench last night, and I was waiting for Marcus Johnson maybe to give some hint about what might happen with his playing time. But certainly for the time being, it seems like unmasked Ursan has uh, found his way on the court. And God tier Ursan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unmasked uh, and sunburned. Ursan. Yeah, <laughs> wait, was he was he actually really red and sunburned? Because I thought that was like oh, the yes. tint on my TV screwed up. No, it, I thought it was the same thing, and then I saw it Saturday. I was like, no, that is that was a sunburn. <laughs> oh, Ursan finishes negative uh, eight in that Timberwolves game, but God love him for tapping those balls up. He, I cannot believe how how he's able to do that at his age, man. He just plants his feet, gets that gets a hand in there, and just keeps batting that ball up against. Uh, Wait, was Ursan really a minus eight? Yeah, he was a minus eight last night. Weird. It seemed, I, I felt like he was. So, like a positive, I, fi- I figured he would have been in the positive just because he was hitting, and especially in the second quarter, he was able to hit some shots. And I think he was on the floor when the Bucks had gone on that run where it was just the bench and Brogdon, but maybe I'm mistaken. But oh, huh, weird. I mean, I think it's hard in a game like last night where it's like clearly just both teams are making tons of shots. So if you're on the court for like three or f- four minute run where Minnesota is just like scoring everything, I think that can really muck up your plus minus. So yeah, that's but why a single like game plus well. minus is a tough, uh, tough stat to kind of follow it. It's helpful over a course, but it, that's why it's wrought with perils. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let the record show that Ursan was in Palm Beach, Florida over the break. He was at Coastal Performance, which appears to be some sort of gym. So that must be where he picked up his sunburn slash attempted tan. These are the facts as we know them. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad that Ursan no longer has to wear the mask and uh, his, his James Dean face can be displayed for all of us with that beautiful, beautiful sunburn. All right, guys, I want to move on to something else that we don't have to go very long on this because I'm sure we'll have to have tons and tons of these conversations going forward through the end of the season. But I want to touch touch briefly on this Brian Windhorst piece that he did last week, just where he seemed to do sort of an informal poll of, of players and coaches and stuff talking about the MVP race thus far. And, you know, as I hear, listen, to my national media podcasts or whatever, it seems like a lot of people have James Harden in the lead. They've been enamored by his his string of, 30 point games. Uh, and you know, that's, I've, I've had to, to deal with that. I have, but my, my boss at work is a Rockets fan, which, you know, <laughs> he's, he's really kind. He's a great guy. Uh, but I guess I, I'm still, I think that'll cause a little bit of strife between us, the MVP race as we go into the latter parts of this season. But I was surprised how much player support there was for Giannis. Basically the, the argument was that uh, you know, James Harden is a, like sort of bastardizing the game a little bit with his uh, solo performance out there. You know, he's putting everything on his shoulders, whereas Giannis is playing within a team construct. And the players seem to give him a lot of respect for that. And there was a really good quote in there from Bud talking about how he thought he was the most valuable player. Not anything surprising there. But 
Riley, what did you think about that, the sort of dichotomy that Windhorst had there and sort of explaining that maybe Giannis is, is closer in this race than the media is making him out to be at this point? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I find it kind of interesting because it felt like the first third of the season, it was like everybody was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's Giannis. It was like Giannis and Anthony Davis, and then Anthony Davis dropped off with all the kind of off-court stuff, and now Harden, because Chris Paul was injured, Harden's kind of stepped up his scoring, but... I think it's just kind of crafting a narrative just to kind of get through because I'm not sure if you could, and obviously Harden is deserving because he scores a lot and he's kind of kept the team afloat. So I'm not really disrespecting him, even if his game isn't the prettiest thing to watch or whatever the deal happens to be or whatever your complaints are. But I think it's more so just kind of continuing the narrative as you go along, because I've also kind of heard first in like national media podcasts and whatever the deal happens to be people kind of discussing this. And even then I still hear a lot of people talking like that might go Giannis versus, and I think, just kind of as the season goes along, we'll probably get countervailing narratives where it's like, okay, yes, Harden is scoring a lot, but you know, he already won the MVP last year, which I, I'm not sure if media members are fickle about giving consecutive MVPs, but maybe that'll kind of kind of come into play. Plus, the Bucks have every possibility to have the best record in the entire NBA, and I'm not sure how you could really overlook that. So. I think it's interesting, but I'm not too worried about it long term as the final third of the season goes on here. I think Giannis will end up shining through, if only because, like that piece by Windhorse said, kind of team success. And I think there's enough people who will look at that, plus his eye-popping stats and say, you know, at the end of the day, I think Giannis is most deserving. Yeah, Kyle, did you have any just sort of brief thoughts or initial opinions on, you could talk about the race in general, but what Windhorse had to say about it? I think for me, it's more that Giannis, I think players respect Giannis more and how he plays. One, because he's playing more defense as a two-way player. Two, he's not, you know, hunting out fouls like Harden is. He's not pretty much performing this dark arts magic that seems to get him more calls. And I think players get annoyed with that, is that Harden can, you know, do these travels and do all this flopping and drawing all this contact and getting follow calls while some of these other players are literally getting punched in the face and they don't get anything. So I think most, I think that might be more of an endorsement of Giannis or just more of a, we just don't want to see James Harden win it again. And I mean, in terms of the national media, I, I'm just giving up on the national media and any respect they're going to give the bucks just because they're going to say what they need to say to get whatever clicks and takes and views and website visits. And that's, that is what it is, but it's, more because when you see James Harden scoring 30 points consecutive games over and over and over, it's easier to talk about. You know, it's not easy to talk about how Giannis was a help side defender and was able to stop someone getting to the hoop or how the, when Giannis is on a guy that he's able to just completely take out a corner of the court or, you know, Giannis is basically able to just rifle a pass to someone in the corner in a blink of an eye. You know, those are the things that aren't going to get talked about as much. So, I think it's just that kind of combo. I truly think that Giannis will still end up with the MVP award just because they're going to see the impact that the Bucks are having with their record, how he's playing. He's going to continue putting up a 25 plus, 13 plus, maybe even creep up to like five, six assists kind of season. So it's something that I think will slightly shift. And with the Paul George, and I mean, Paul George getting thrown into the mix also might take away some of the those votes from Harden because it's like those are two players that are competing in the same conference. So they might say, 
well, why is James Harden MVP? But Paul George has been the focal guy on a better team. So I think those two things are going to be kind of, I think Paul George is going to take some votes away from Harden. I still think Giannis is going to end up with the MVP award in the end. Yeah, I guess the thing that surprised me, and maybe I just have a the poor perception of, of how players view this stuff, is I, I still have this idea of like players really like respecting guys who could do, just do that sort of isolation scoring and, and like put a huge team on your back and do all of that kind of stuff solo. Like maybe that's just outdated at this point. So it, it was surprising to me that there seemed to be such a, a, a groundswell of support for for Giannis basically playing within a team's team construct and thing running things basically. I mean things run almost essentially all through Giannis, but it certainly doesn't look the same way that that Harden makes it looks when he plays. And, you know, especially the idea of like players not really liking the way Harden plays, which weirdly reflects how a lot of fans feel. And I, I feel like a lot of media people also feel that way. They don't necessarily like watching the way Harden plays, but they just respect it because he puts up points. So I thought it was weird that those perspectives seem to sort of weirdly align or, or switch from what my typical thought is for what NBA players would respect. Yeah, I don't it's it's an interesting debate and I think um you know, part of this going into it coming from our perspective as Bucks fans obviously we're a little bit biased, but there is a certain extent for when Harden was, you know, I, I can't remember what the streak was, but he was putting up like 40 points routinely. Yeah, I mean, he does it kind of in an ugly way, and the Rockets don't have too many other options. But at the same time, you have to kind of respect the fact that he did that for like double-digit straight games or whatever the deal happened to be. Um, so I don't agonize it over too, over it too much. I think it's natural that there'll be other guys that kind of get a little bit of shine. And like you said, Adam, it's different because... Giannis, I mean, yes, he does kind of run the offense a little bit and things run through him, but it's not like Harden where he's the dominant, you know, ball handler and literally everything goes through him. Like the offense initiates through him and then, you know, everything, the system exists around both players, but because Giannis isn't a guard, I think that just difference is critical in the way that the league kind of views both of them. And as the season goes on and as like Chris Paul returns and probably hardens cools down a little bit, I think it'll end up going towards Giannis direction, but I'm not super mad or upset. The fact that other guys are getting shine. I mean, they're both, both George and Harden and, you know, Davis earlier in the year, we're all deserving candidates as well. So we'll just kind of see how it works out at the end of the season. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. And, and I mean, it's one of those where like Paul George is having a fantastic season. I don't think I realized it until the Bucks had played the Thunder just how good he's been. And, you know, even Jokic was kind of in that discussion also. And, I mean, it's not like I'm mad at Harden getting all the calls. It's just more like, I mean, if you're going to continuously reward someone for doing something that, you know, is probably frowned upon, then, like, I'm not going to blame the player for continuing to do it. Like, if Harden's going to continue trying to seek out getting foul calls, then fine, fair play to him. It's on the refs to stop letting him get away with it. So it is impressive and... I think it's just one of those where in the end, it's just going to be a matter of preference. I mean, kind of like with Russell Westbrook into the MVP, it's like, well, are you just going to reward it because he's doing something that no one's really seen? Or are we going to go based off of the best player on the best team? Because I think that's kind of shifting now with, I think with more advanced stats, with more people watching with social media, it's kind of like kind of shifted from, well, who's the best player on the best team to who's doing something that, is kind of unthinkable. And I think that's where Harden is getting a lot of the credit is he's doing a lot. He's doing something that I don't think 
I've seen, I don't think I've seen personally in a long time. Maybe besides Kobe, chuck up 30 shots to get to it. But it's just one of those where the more players that get involved, there's always going to be kind of rotation between the third player. Maybe now Paul George will like firmly secure that third spot. And it's just a matter of who's going to be that fourth one. You know, like I said, Jokic was kind of in the conversation. That's kind of died down. I mean, Steph Curry is always someone that you have to consider for an MVP award. Um, Kawhi surprisingly hasn't gotten as much buzz as I would have expected. So it's just going to be something that it's, it's going to change month by month. I mean, we might have a whole different discussion in March as the Bucks keep on winning. And now that Chris Paul's back, maybe hard is it having to do everything himself. Do you guys think it's important that Giannis wins the MVP? Like, does it matter at the end of the day? Cause I'm kind of, I come at awards like this and just kind of awards in general. Like, does it really matter? I mean, it's not like we live in the 21st century where Giannis isn't like off in Siberia, like doing these things with nobody really watching, like every, all the eyeballs are on him. So even if he doesn't win the MVP, I'm not sure if it really affects the trajectory of the league or the way that his career is going to go forward all that much. No, I don't think it will. I think it's just more, it's just for me. Just want the like, recognition for it? or it's. I want the, I want him to get the recognition that I think he deserves. And also it's just like, if you're going to have a consistent message, like the MVP is the most valuable player. And I think Giannis is the most valuable player to the Bucs because if he's not on the team, the Bucs are going to struggle. I mean, Harden didn't play last night and Houston ended up being Golden State. So like, I guess I view it more as a valuable aspect. Well, if there was an offensive player of the year, Harden would win that in a landslide, and I'd be totally okay with that. But I don't think he's really – I don't think he's more valuable to the team than Giannis is, and I don't even think he's more valuable to the team than Paul George is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't – I mean, in the long run, I don't think it really matters at all in any way. But I think when you look at – I like thinking of that like the the MVP is also like a snapshot of how the season went down, and I think this season will be remembered as the year that – um, the Bucks and basically Giannis finally ascended to the level that people tried to and hoped for him for the last several years. Uh, at least I think that'll be the longstanding uh, memory of this season in the Eastern Conference, at least the regular season. It'll be really colored by the postseason. But I think just rewarding that, uh, and I mean, I think all the stats back that type of stuff up, but I think the MVP is also like a really, I think it's an important narrative thing as well. And, you know, I, we sh- I guess we shouldn't have given Russell Westbrook that MVP a couple of years ago, but like it was, you know, I mean, it was like pretty memorable that he did average the triple double. And like, for, I will say though, for the, for the people that are like, you know, if he did carry that team, like, yeah, that yeah. And he was excellent in bad. the, like excellent in the clutch that year, like led them to a really good record. We don't have to relitigate that, but I mean, f- for anyone who's like quibbling over whether, I don't know if Giannis gets to like 30 points or something and he has like a 30, 12 season, like who gives a crap? Like, he can be at this point level now and you can find any level of like small, you know, incremental increase and in that it puts him in even more historic level, but like he's already playing at a historically great level. So that's really all that matters to me. Um, so. Well, right, well and it kind yeah, of reminds ahead, me Tom. of a couple of years ago when Brogdon won the rookie of the year, it was what, it was just one of those where like, it just made, it was just like a cool thing to highlight. It was just like a really cool it was just like austin seeing how hyped everyone got and how salty the sixers fans got so like getting that award also would just be like a nice little 
in your face kind of thing. But I mean, yeah, it's not going to make a difference in Giannis's career if he gets it. He needs it for the Twitter account. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm like, saving all of the. I'm saving all the smoke <laughs> for the Twitter account. Yeah, I like that you were like, yeah, you know, it'd be really nice if we get it so we can rub in everyone's face. But like, you know, if we don't, I mean, that's no big deal or anything. <laughs> no, it's not a big deal. It's fine. Not bad at all. <laughs> all right, here's a big deal, guys. Dante's Inferno is back. I think I can be a professional basketball player. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Finally, oh my God, the fans have been clamoring for it. And uh, we have big news here that Riley sent before the podcast. Uh, per Emilio Carcia on Twitter, Milwaukee Bucks rookie Dante DiVincenzo is close to getting the Italian passport, not in Italian passport, just the, the, the one, There's the one. <laughs> Italian passport. This is according to the Italian Basketball Federation president Gianni Petrucci, who told Sportando. Uh, now, then he says, not sure if he can get one, get on, uh, get on time for the next FIBA Basketball World Cup in China. Riley, what do you think this means in terms of the trajectory of Italian basketball? That's a really good question. I know you said I didn't have enough time because this one came right across the line before we hit record. Um, <laughs> I didn't get enough time to go look at what the Italian national roster looks like, but um, I think it's significant that Ragu is going international and they're no longer going to be a U.S. staple, but we'll take it overseas and we're going to teach those Italians what real spaghetti tomato paste tastes like. All right. Kyle, I'll give you a brief a brief glimpse of this. There's no one under the age of 26 on the Italian team. It's a lot of plus 30 people. And if you look at their backcourt, they have guys like Ariel Foloi, Daniel Hackett, Marco Bellinelli, Pietro Aradori, and that's it for their backcourt. Uh, Marco Bellinelli, of course, the name that most people know. Uh, but I can see Tante DiVincenzo just lighting teams up over there, you know, maybe running a little pick and roll with a 211 centimeter mountain of a man in Marco Cousin. I think I, I think he's going to be a huge addition to this team if he can make it in time for that World Cup. Oh, if he makes it in time, he's going to be the best player on the team. <laughs> and it's not even going to be close. I, But I actually think this is a cool thing for Dante because if he can be part of that team, it's – you know, it gives him more playing time. It kind of gives him more of a standout kind of recognition. And, you know, it's always nice to just add another flag in the training center. <laughs> if we can add an Italian flag now, if he gets his passport, it's like, well, technically it counts, right? Come on. I'm very <laughs> lost a few flags lately. I'm very confused what, like, th this just kind of yeah, reinforces how <laughs> odd it is, like, international sports in general, like how the whole passport, passport slash citizenship thing works. Like, if you have a great-great-grandfather twice removed who, you know, once visited Rome for, like, a week, is like, all right, I think it might count. Like, that's That seems to be the basis for a lot of this. I mean, obviously, he's got a super Italian last name. Good on him for that. But uh, I'm curious what exactly the process for him becoming a – Italian. I don't know if I'm guessing he becomes an Italian citizen in that regard, right? So, uh, kind of odd, but you know, God bless him. Good yeah. luck over there. I guess it. it worst case scenario, maybe he and uh, Giannis will meet in like the Euro Basket Finals or something. It'll be some buck on buck crime or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah that'd be pretty I just, sweet. 
I just did the quick Google translate. So in Italian, is uh, the big ragu is il grande ragu. So uh, get ready for that. <laughs> Sounds oh, really there. foreign. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I'm also. <laughs> uh, let's see. I also translated his other nickname. So his other one would be il Michael Jordan del Delaware. So uh, that one's not too different. Um, but I like thinking of the Italian, like the Italian broadcasters saying, calling him the Michael Jordan of Delaware. And them having no idea what that means. <laughs> Although I am kind of curious, like what get because like when Sergio Baca was like saying he's gonna play, like was on the Spanish national team, like kind of like what Riley was saying, like how do you get that like ability? Because I mean, I kind of get it with soccer if you have like parents that are like from a different country, if you were like born in Germany, but both of your parents were American, you could technically be for Germany or the United States. But it's kind of like what does that apply also to the NBA? Because if so, like. I mean, Giannis could technically play for the Nigeria team or, you know, like there's just like so many other layers where it's like, can't like, how does that all work? I kind of want to learn the rules of FIBA and maybe I'll do that on my spare time tonight. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, I'm going to do that kinda, actually. It's interesting and convoluted, but I think it'd be cool for like just the main takeaway is if he gets a chance to kind of play some international ball, even if it's with, for whatever reason, the Italian team. You know that that's a cool experience and good on him if, if he's able to make it. Even though their roster isn't the most impressive, I mean those guys are still probably pro players who are pretty good in European basketball. So probably still a cool yeah, experience either way. But yeah, so hope yeah, hopefully he'll be able to get that through, and maybe that'd be another platform where we could watch him. And hopefully he gets healthy soon too. He's he's been out for sideline for a while now. Uh, guys, I want to touch on one more thing before we preview some of the games ahead. I want to reflect on this All-Star weekend. I can officially say I watched basically none of it um, after talking the game last Preach. night. Uh, <laughs> I surprisingly watched more than I thought I would. Oh, okay, Kyle. Um, I'll have you can be our expert then. Yeah, you're going to be the expert here. Uh, I see that Mark Lasry and Ray Allen's team uh, lost 80-82 to 82 in a barn burner for the Celebrity Game. Um, did you watch any of that? Uh, I watched five minutes. I saw some midget out there and I literally shouted, why is there a midget on the court in which my wife was like, Kyle, that was mean and uncalled for. I was like, no, he's literally a midget on the court. And that's pretty much all I watched. And that was it. I didn't watch any of All-Star Saturday. Um, saw a couple highlights on Twitter, but I watched, I think I watched like the whole first quarter of the All-Star game and maybe like parts of the second quarter. So a lot more than I had expected. Wasn't okay. there a four-point shot in the celebrity game? Or there was Ray Allen hit one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> into the record books once again. Ray Allen breaking records, putting himself in the history books. Great work there. Uh, and then Chris Middleton, of course, were, competed in the three-point contest on Saturday night. I can't. I really could not find the official stats from all the participants anymore. I'm pretty sure he only hit like eight of twenty-five. Uh, Just somewhere around that. Burn it. It never happened. Did yeah. he do better than Dirk or worse than Dirk? No, he was the worst. He did the worst oh, out of God. everyone. Oh, wait, which was on. too Dirk bad. He looked, like he, was, no. yeah, he looked like he was shooting through tree limbs or something. Charlotte um, nightlife remains undefeated, apparently. <laughs> Mr. Middleton, I, I appreciate how you've you've raised your son into such a fine basketball player, but I still feel like the anecdote in Zach Lowe's article where he had him shoot through tree limbs, I don't really get how that's that helpful. But... um. <laughs> Yeah, Whatever in works, like I a guess. driving storm, right? It was yeah. like in the middle of a thunderstorm. Yeah, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, that's Although good. Milton did shoot the ball well in the All Star game itself, so that was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's true. And you watched some of that game. So Chris Middleton had twenty points, five rebounds, four assists. 
Giannis, 38 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists. Team Giannis loses 164, 178. I want to say one thing before Thanks, Kyle. Embiid. I want to say one thing before Kyle gets in here. Uh, Giannis played 27 minutes and 9 seconds in that game, which is more than one. Eight games he's played in the regular season this year and <laughs> was more than he played in the Bucks win over Golden State back in November. Um, I just wanted to make that note. Uh, Kyle, beyond the huge Giannis, uh, Steph Curry dunk, anything else stand out to you? Um, so kind of like what I preluded, like Middleton came to the game and just instantly caught fire. Like I think he hit three or four straight threes. Um, so he was great in like that first quarter. Like I said, came off the bench, just started shooting it everywhere. Giannis was clearly going to get every alley oop pass, every like every time he was near the hoop, someone's gonna pass him the ball. So yeah, the first quarter was awesome, and the second quarter was great too. And I don't know what happened between Westbrook and Embiid just completely crapping the bed and Kyle Lowry being anonymous. Um Kind of a bummer Giannis didn't win the MVP because had his team won, he would have easily gotten it. Um, but it was, like I said, it was that stretch of near the end of the first quarter where Giannis is getting a couple dunks, then Chris Middleton came in. Giannis gives you the Middleton and pass, hits a three, does it a second time, hits another three. I think Steph Curry got him a pass to get a three, and then Dirk comes in and hits like two straight threes in the quarter. It was like, this was pretty cool. On a roll and could not be stopped. And then I stopped watching and things went downhill. Yeah, I think uh, I think that the cool thing too is that I mean, obviously we saw that highlight dunk from Giannis, but I mean the, the past couple All Star games, like maybe something stick with other people, but like Giannis has provided two of the most memorable highlights: that Steph Curry bounce pass dunk, and then of course the one huge dunk over Steph Curry a couple years ago. Uh, so right, those two have combined for some of the more impressive uh, highlights that we've had so far from these past few all-star games. So good on him for building that brand. And obviously when he did the all-star draft, he was really funny and clearly showed why he's going to be so marketable. And um, did you guys watch the, I guess last thing from all-star weekend, did you guys watch the finding Giannis documentary? I thought, I thought it was fine. It was interesting. The most interesting I didn't part watch of it. it live. Yeah. Not live. I kind of watched it the morning after though. And it was, yeah, it was good. It was a typical, it was kind of like the 60 minutes where it was like, we already knew, a good chunk of Giannis' story, but it was still like kind of nice to see like how far he's come. Well, was that is in there that it revealed that like if his parents or family was denied a visa like the third time, he was just gonna like leave the NBA and go back to Greece or whatever? Was that yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's kind of crazy, but it, I think. After the fact, when you think of the title, like Finding Giannis, it was more so like, hey, check out my agent, who's like every other agent on the planet. Like it was, <laughs> it was kind of like co-equal, like Giannis, and I can't remember what his agent's name is, but that guy as well was kind of like the uh, second leading star. So I think it was fine, but uh, it's probably not going to make it into the old like Christmas rotation, Christmas movie rotation for the family or anything. Yeah, I, it was good. Definitely worthwhile. Definitely watch whenever... HBO where someone actually makes like the definitive Giannis documentary. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be incredible. Uh, all right, guys, let's move on. Let's preview the week ahead. So tonight, Monday, February 25th, the Bucks are taking on Riley's beloved Chicago Bulls. Ah! <laughs> oh God. Zach Levine was ready to talk trash. Cause he, after the Celtics game, he was like, they kind of blew us out on our court. So we had to like, get payback. And then, it was mentioned while well, he played the Bucks on Monday. He's like, oh, we owe them too. So Zach Levine's going to shoot his way into trying to win the game for the Bulls. 
Wow. And he is more than welcome to try, Mr. Levine. You are more than welcome <laughs> to try. Uh, ranges all day, please. <laughs> Otto, Otto Porter, of course, will uh, finally be able to suit up. Um, hopefully he won't have to like sadly leave the court after warming up because <laughs> he got traded. Uh, it's happened that couple weeks ago against the Wizards game. So that one's at 7 o'clock Central. And then the Bucks go on a West Coast road trip that kicks off Wednesday at Sacramento. RIP to our sleep schedules. That one's at 9 p.m. Central. And then on Friday, they do a back-to-back Friday, Saturday, Friday at L.A. Lakers, 9.30 Central. And then Saturday, they go to Utah for an 8 o'clock game. Uh, you guys have, uh, Kyle, do you have predictions on how they might go for these next four games record-wise? Uh, I'm not going to be a happy camper by the end of this road trip because of the lack of sleep. But <laughs> I I think I'm going to say 4-0. Four, four I hesitantly say it just because that Utah game after playing in L.A., although they'll be leaving L.A., so no, actually, scratch that. They're losing the Lakers game. That L.A. nightlife on Thursday night, no way. No, LA night, nightlife is undefeated. So three and one, I'll say three and one. Is there really a lot to do in the LA nightlife on a Thursday evening? I guess maybe it's there's LA. Like a, it's a, that's <laughs> true. Maybe oh, I thought maybe they might go get like boneless Thursdays at the local beatups or something. I don't <laughs> whatever NBA stars do on the road. No, right. I'm gonna go ahead. I will say that they will go three and one, and I predict the Utah game to be the loss. Yeah, I'm gonna just go. I'm gonna go four and zero. I think um, having OJ, hopefully OJ Mayo isn't at USC or something, so he <laughs> won't be there to you know inspire a little uh, debauchery from the Bucks players. So that'll be good. Um, I think they're just. I think they're gonna go four and zero. I think they're gonna take care of business. I think the Sacramento game might actually be the one that gives them the most trouble. I think the fact that they were able to, I, I think the fact that earlier in the year they were able to on this West Coast road trip also finish up going to Denver and win a game in Denver, that was a really impressive victory that they did at the end of a long road trip. So I think they're going to take care of business here uh, and, and stay on a roll. I think they're at 16 of 18 now um, after that victory over the Timberwolves. So, yeah, this team is rolling, and it's it's really impressive. Uh, it, you know, and, and then they'll finish that that road trip up against Phoenix, and we we'll, should be recording before then. So um, any other thoughts you guys have for this upcoming road trip? Um, before we start to sign off, um, no. go for it, Kyle. I'll let say I bought the Collectivo coffee with the new Bucks mm. one, and it's pretty good. I just had it, and I'm gonna probably have that in heavy rotation this week. So, if you have the chance to buy it, go buy the Collectivo coffee. Would recommend. This is a unannounced sponsor and ad. <laughs> <laughs> I I did yeah the Bucks blend. I really like the logo as too, just the old fashioned buck it's been uh riley anything from you uh no not too much i think it's just uh again kind of focusing because we've kind of seen two games now everybody kind of seems to be playing the same way but how does meritage continue to kind of get rotated in and we've got a lot of games this week so the rotation is probably going to be a little bit deeper so what does that mean for the other guys so it'll just be an interesting again another look we're probably gonna have a lot more bench minutes and what does that mean for the team yeah, so we'll have a, we'll have all that to keep our eye on, especially the Miritich integration here, uh, how that might affect the front court rotation. Uh, we'll find out more about George Hill and maybe Pat Connaughton could get a little more run here if Hill's either just going to rest to try and get him ready for the playoffs or or whatnot. So 
And of course, as you know, we had a few announced a few changes to the Brew Who podcast feed. You don't have to do anything um, besides send the feed to all of your friends to have them subscribe, rate, review, all that kind of stuff. But we've added a show on Thursday morning from Brian Sampson. You know him on Twitter as Bucks Film Room. Does a lot of great breakdowns on the site. Uh, you know, you want you want to check him out, and you know he's he's trying some stuff out as as the solo pod, trying to you know he brings a rant of the week. He brings the same sort of analysis that it brings to the site to the podcast. So. We're going to go weekly as well with this show, so you're going to have to hear our voices more often. Sorry. Uh, yeah, apologies in advance. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, stick with us, and we're always open to feedback and ways to make this stuff better. So I uh, appreciate everyone who's listened so far and everyone who's going to listen far into the future, hopefully. So thanks again for listening to this episode, and we'll be back with you next week. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking